0: this series is so important is because this principle right here the size of your God determines the size of everything else say that with me the size of my God determines the size of everything else say it again the size of my God determines the size of everything else if your God is tiny your problems will be humongous how many of you found that to be true if God is small, the challenges of life knock you off the saddle of your horse, all right? I mean, it just knocks you flat on the ground. If God is small, you're dealing with stress and anxiety, and you're on drugs to help medicate yourself, and you might be turned to alcohol, you might be turned to other things because life's too much, is overwhelming. Can I suggest to you the problem? The problem is you need a God enlargement in your life. I'm not trying to be mean this morning or insensitive or callous. I'm just trying to be real. I'm speaking to all of us because the size of your God determines the size of everything else because everything is seen in relationship to him because he is the center and foundation of all reality. Everything finds its definition in God. When God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, he said, this is what you need to know about me. I am. You am what? That's the point. He is everything. He is the foundation of everything. He is ultimate reality. He's the smartest being. He's the most powerful being, the most loving, kind, good. Whatever the adjective, whatever the attribute, that's who God is in perfection and with infinite abundance. And so I have this feeling that when we go through life, part of what God's trying to reveal in us is how much we know Him or how little we know Him. In fact, I want you to go back to 1 Chronicles chapter 18. Open up your Bibles. This is not on the PowerPoint just yet. 1 Chronicles 18. When, God, or when uh, David is setting up Solomon to be the king, he gives him some very personal advice. I'm sorry, 1 Chronicles 28, not 18. 1 Chronicles 28. He gives David some personal advice. I want you to read in, in verse 9 with me. This is what David said to Solomon. Solomon, my son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and he knows every plan and thought. If you seek the Lord, he said to Solomon, you're going to find him. But if you forsake God, he will reject you forever. Look at verse 10. So take... This seriously. I mean, you know, this is an amazing father-to-son intimate talk. This is what he says. You have got to know the God of your father and your father's father intimately. This is serious business, Solomon. Can I suggest to you today that it is serious business to know God? There's no knowledge that is more valuable in our lives than the knowledge of God, and there's no pursuit that is more worthy of your time and your best effort than the pursuit of the knowledge of God. Everybody know what I'm talking about here? I'm, uh, you know, this is what I love too. The Bible in Christianity is not a leap of faith. This is not like you just cut your head off and you just jump into the dark and you just say, I'm a Christian. That's not Christianity. Christianity is logical and rational. How many times in the Bible does the Lord say, come reason with me? How many times does Paul say things like this? Giving yourself to God as a sacrifice is your reasonable service. In other words, it's reasonable. It makes sense. If God is the I am, then who should consider consume the bulk of our time and our focus and our energy, should it not be the foundation of everything that's real? Does this make sense to everybody? Some of you are looking like I'm waking you up from a nap. I'm I'm talking to you about the most important reality in the universe, which is the knowledge of God. What knowledge has the most stake if you fail the exam? Like I've had kids fail the algebra test, all right? You will recover from that. But when you fail this test, the knowledge of God there's no recovery. There's no recovery. This is why David said to Solomon, pay attention. This is valuable because the knowledge of God is the foundation of everything. It's the foundation of our life now, and it's the foundation for our life in eternity, and to say that we're too busy or, or it's not that important or whatever simply shows that we're not thinking correctly about the weightiness of what's going on here. So I want you to read with me First Chronicles chapter 29. We're going to read verses 10 through 15. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness. Yours, O Lord, he says, is the power. Yours is the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord. And this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. Look at verse 13. Oh, our God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. But who am I? There's that phrase again. Who am I? And who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you. And we give you only what you first gave to us. We are here for only a moment visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us our days on earth are like a passing shadow gone as uh, gone so soon without even a trace the bible says you know there have been people that have gone through life and have chosen to attach the phrase the great after their name like alexander the great or we've seen athletes that refer to themselves as the great how many of you remember muhammad ali back in the boxing days all right Muhammad Ali was a gifted, gifted uh, boxer, a man of exceptional talent. Some people call him the the greatest boxer of all time. Some people have labeled him the greatest athlete in the 20th century. And the problem with Muhammad Ali, though, is he kind of knew that he was pretty good because he would go around referring to himself as the greatest. All right, you all remember that? The greatest. In fact, he was from Louisville, and they called him the Louisville Lip. Because he also had a gift of gab. He was a boxer and a poet at the same time. He was like the prelude of our rappers today, all right? Only rappers can't punch as hard as Muhammad Ali. Um, But, boy, he was gifted with his words. But he was the greatest, and he he, he made his whole identity around being the greatest. Now, the problem with us as human beings, in comparison again of attributing greatness to us is this thing called age as a, as a problem of bringing our greatness into perspective. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And to see Muhammad Ali as he aged was really a pitiful thing. It was a sad thing. He was, he was dealing with Parkinson's. Uh, he, he had terrible tremors. Uh, he had to be assisted as he walked. Um, he could hardly speak, and the, the man that was so gifted as a communicator had a hard time putting a sentence together. It was a picture at the end of his life of what human existence is really all about because on our best day, we're still puny in the eyes and before God Almighty. There's a story about Muhammad Ali that's funny. He got on an airplane to fly somewhere, and during the flight, of course, they ran into some turbulence, and the pilot gets on the loudspeaker and says, you know, we all need you to take your seats. Please put your seatbelts on. And uh, as the attendants were working their way through, checking everybody to make sure they're following the rules, they noticed that Muhammad Ali had not put his seatbelt on. And she said, "Uh, sir, we we really need you to put your seatbelt on. And he said, Superman don't need no (laughs) seatbelt. And she looked at him without missing a beat, and she said, Superman don't need no airplane. (laughs) And... uh, and he qu- quickly uh, complied and put his seatbelt on. <laughs> Reality has a way of uh, waking us up, does it not? And, uh, and the days when we felt like Superman or Superwoman, now we're struggling to get out of bed. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Um, the problem is human greatness has a way of uh, fading away. Uh, there was a famous king. In fact, it was Louis 14th who liked to call himself Louis the Great. It was said of his court that it was the most magnificent court in all of Europe, and how many of you know that some of these folks that are egomaniacs, they not only plan your life and everybody else's life, but they also plan their death. And so Louis uh, the Great wanted to have a great funeral. He was buried in a a coffin made of gold, and he, he wanted all the lights in the cathedral dimmed, and the only light in the whole place was a candle that was right above his casket thousands of people came to his funeral and everybody was in awe because as you can imagine the whole focal point of everything was on the casket of lewis the great and i love this because the bishop got up to start off the ceremony and leaned over and extinguished the candle and said only god is great The place was in complete darkness, and the only light in the place was the light of the truth that God is great, and everybody else is a shadow in comparison. I love that picture, because sometimes it takes for the snuffing out of our lives before we realize that our lives are a vapor. We're just here for a moment. And... We get our eyes off of ourselves, off of our problems, and we get our eyes back on the greatness and the goodness of God. Next week, in fact, we're going to talk about the kindness, the goodness of the heart of God as it relates to us, and we're going to encourage you with that. John Piper wrote something in a book that and sometimes you guys ask me, Pastor, what are the books that have changed your life? What was the top five books? Well, the problem with that is sometimes they're books that are specific to my calling, and I might love them, but I'm not sure you would love them. One of those books is a book on the supremacy of God in preaching. I've told this story before, but it it bears repeating in the service today because of the topic, but I opened up this book, and the first sentence in this book is this sentence right here, people are starved for the greatness of God. When I read those words, people are starved for the greatness of God, it just hit me, really, really deep. I closed the book. I laid down on my carpet uh, in the bedroom there and I just wept before God because something at that moment, it was the Holy Spirit just awakening in me That what your neighbor's looking for, what you're looking for, what people everywhere, it doesn't matter what country you're in, what they're hungry for is a God worthy of their worship and worthy of their lives, a great God, a big God. They're starved for the greatness of God. But the problem is they, they spend their lives pursuing a million different things that they think will satisfy them. Some of you have been on that chase. Maybe it's money, maybe it's fame, maybe it's, uh, it's the right relationship, right spouse, right kids, right uh, drugs, sex, alcohol, whatever things give you pleasure in life. But what people are really longing for was the greatness of God. Now what David showed us in this passage and in others is that the secret of success and greatness in life is not suggesting that you're great, but attaching yourself to the greatness of a great big God. In fact, I love this quote by Brother Yun. He wrote the book, The Heavenly Man. He was imprisoned in China for his faith. and This is what he said. It's not great men who change the world, but weak men in the hands of a great God. Isn't that the truth? You know, when you read your Bible from beginning to end, you don't read about great men and great women. You read about very normal people men and women, do you not? In fact, there's some places in the Bible you're almost embarrassed. Like, God, did you need to really say that about that person? (laughs) Do you need to really remind us about that person? Um, And do you really need to expose all their flaws? That's why if anybody ever says to you, the Bible is a book written by human beings, you need to say, that's a lie. And if they say, well, why is that a lie? Just tell them this. Uh, No human being would ever include all the mistakes and failures and weaknesses that the Bible's full of if it were not written by the Holy Spirit. Because we would not write an autobiography like that, would we? We would leave about all the bad stuff and highlight all the good stuff. But the Bible was written by the Holy Spirit about normal people, puny people, fallen people, broken people who simply attached themselves to a great God. How many of you know we're in good company today? If you'll get your eyes off of you and you'll get your eyes on the greatness of God, there's no end to what God can do through your life. And so David starts off in this passage, 2nd or 1 Chronicles 29, verse 10. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Let me ask you this question. When we come together, what is the foundation behind all of our praise to God? You know, some people have said, especially in our, in our digital age, our electronic age, you know, I don't really deal with the church. I mean, me and God are cool, but I don't really like coming to church. Can I just tell you, David gathered together all of Israel in this passage, and he exhorted them to praise God forever and ever to praise God. Why did he do that? What's the what is the reason behind our worship of God? I believe that the foundation as the Bible teaches us is simply God's greatness. We praise him because he's great. Look at what it says in Psalm 96 verse 4. For the Lord's greatness is beyond description and he deserves all the praise that comes to him. So when we talk about God's greatness, we're talking about something that is is above our pay grade so to speak as far as putting words on it. We we can't get our mind around it. I had a funny situation happen this morning. I was in my office and I was on my knees and I had my sermon notes laying on the chair in front of me and I literally had my hands like this and my face in the sermon notes and I was crying out for help. Pastor Aaron opened the door and uh, interrupted me, and he looked down at me. He said, oh, Pastor, I'm sorry. I was just seeing if I could help you. I said, oh, can you help me? In fact, that's what I'm doing right now. If any of you wanted to know my pregame warm-up, this is my pregame warm-up before church. Help! Right here. How in the world am I supposed to get up and preach on the greatness of God when it's indescribable? Can't you think you got a rough job? (laughs) So this is how I, I get ready to come out every Sunday. Lord, help. God, prepare hearts. Lord, help me communicate about things that are almost incommunicable, all right? One of those is the greatness of God. Look at this, Psalm 34, verse 3. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. So check this out. What should be the content of the songs that we sing on Sunday? Here's what we're singing about, how great God is, how unshakable God is. You know, in this world, when all of us get shaken, and and, uh, am I speaking to the right crowd? And you come here, and you're going, you're unshakable, God! Woo! You know what that does? That makes you identify with him. And when I'm singing that he is my God and he's unshakable, it adds strength. It adds like steel girders into my spine. I come here not to sing about my greatness. I come here to sing about God's greatness. All these good worship songs that we sing, what do they do when they're good worship songs? They highlight the glory and the greatness and the majesty and the power of God. Because what it does is it gets my eyes off the dirt of this world and it lifts my eyes to the heavens. And when my eyes are lifted to the greatness of God, hope fills my heart. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? So check this out if God told you I'm so awesome, I'm so great, you could spend the rest of your life pursuing me and just scratch the surface of my greatness. Would if I let me, let me rephrase that. There's so much money hidden in this church that I dare you guys to go on an Easter egg hunt, so to speak, and try to find the gazillions of dollars we've stashed away in this building. You guys, some of you wouldn't even wait till I said amen. You'd be running right now because you'd be looking for some dough. You know what I'm talking about? If I said you could look all your life, you'd never get to the end of it. You'd be stuffing it all over the place. I guarantee you, you'd show up early for church. (laughs) You'd be like, I can't miss church, pastor. I can't miss church. Because you'd be pursuing riches that you're going to leave behind. But I'm telling you, why don't we pursue riches we're going to enjoy forever? Why don't we pursue the glory of the greatness of this God of ours and enrich ourselves for the rest of our days? Enrich ourselves on God. Look at 1 Chronicles 16, verse 8. David said, give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has done. In other words, God's greatness is global greatness. We can't even keep it to Americans. It needs to go to the nations of the world. So we praise God, number one, because he's great. But I want you to know, number two, we praise God also, not just because it's proper to praise God, but I'm gonna blow your mind on this one, but because it's pleasurable to praise God. Let me, let me put it in more modern vernacular. It's fun. It's enjoyable. It is satisfying. You know what's the worst thing you can do during worship? And I've heard people do this. Some people, I, I had one guy, that I, I, he's a friend of mine who is a pastor from a different denomination. I won't mention the denomination. But he got irritated because I would always put on my post that the celebration begins at Living Stones at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. This is a celebration. It's not a celebration of uses, it's a celebration of the greatness of God. He got irritated by that. Imagine being irritated by fun. (laughs) But lots of Christian people are. This is it. When we come together, does it always have to be about celebration? I say, yeah, only if God's only if God's the center. Why else are we here to be depressed? God, we're here to worship you. Don't sing songs that make people clap their hands. It's irreverent. You people are sick. Why would anybody want to hang out with you? Not you people. I'm speaking the, you people I like. Who wants to hang out in a place like that? Go to a funeral parlor for crying out loud if you're looking to be depressed. Why do we come here? We come here to declare the greatness of God. And check this out, when God is great, and I know it, there's a sense of satisfaction that goes off in my heart. In other words, part of the reason why God says you need to worship me is because you need some joy in your life. You need some strength in your life. You need some happiness in your life. You need perspective in your life. So God says you all need to come and worship me because it's for you. It's not for him. Although he gets the honor out of it, but check this out. I get the joy. Worship is like, ah, it's like eating a good meal. And at the end of the meal, yeah, that was amazing. What are you doing? You're honoring the cook. Are you with me? You honor the cook. Oh, and how do you honor the cook? Have another helping for crying out loud. In some cultures, they even burp at the end of the experience. I guess it's like, that was amazing. Don't do that. I'm not recommending you do that. But some cultures, that's their way of saying, man, this was really good. I'm not going to go on the other one. All right, anyway. (laughs) um, But listen to me. Part of why God says come together corporately and worship me is because he is worthy of the worship, but he also wants you to experience pleasure in God. Pastor, where's that in the Bible? All right, you asked me. I'm going to show you. Psalm 147, verse 1. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, and it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. Did you see those three adjectives? Number one, God, it's, God is worthy of our praise. Number two, it is good. Out of all the things you could be doing today, you could be robbing a bank. That's not good. But you could be worshiping. That's good. You could fill your life with good things. Worship of God is good. It's fitting and it's pleasurable. In fact, can I just share with you guys, if there's no joy in the worshiper, we've, we've majorly messed up the worship experience. I mean, i got to drive this point home. If I tell my wife, yeah, you're awesome, you're so awesome, I know it's hard to believe, but I believe me, trust me, you're really awesome, now she's not that blessed, because my body language and everything is not communicating, you're awesome, It's just the opposite, but when I look her in the eyes, and there's a smile on my face, and joy coming off my spirit, and I say, I love you so much, <laughs> hug her, kiss her, I'm, then she's convinced, that guy's really crazy about me. Hey, check this out. Why do we worship? We're convincing God that we're crazy about him. So make sure that you don't leave without him making sure that you haven't just gone through some ritual. That it's been something that's come out of your heart. And God, I love you. And God, I want to know you. And God, I want to pursue your greatness. God, how about this? God, I really like you. It's a good thing, it's a fitting thing, it's a pleasurable thing to worship the Lord. Look at Psalm 40, verse 16. But may all who search for you, God, be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, The Lord is great! I think we just did that this morning, didn't we? The Lord is great! Now, sometimes, how about this, we're clapping and it's even unscripted. Wouldn't it be great if 500 people are all going at different times, the Lord is great, and you mean it from the bottom of your heart. Well, pastor, that would be chaotic. It would be wonderful chaos. God will be going, those people are convincing me that they really think I am who I am. That is awesome. Go, no, everything needs to be done decently and in order. No, that's that again is a graveyard is decently and in order. We're worshiping the living God. And you know what? Sometimes it's wonderfully chaotic because our hearts are so full and the love is coming out and we're worshiping and we're clapping and we're singing and we're shouting and it's just an amazing experience because God is great. Have you all figured out, you know, this is is part of the reasons why this whole atheism evolution stuff just irks me and I'm going to try not to get on a soapbox right now. But, you know, you live in Utah and you live in the mountains, and you look out your window, and you don't ever just go, oh, what a boring sight. No, you look out every day, and you chose that place, right, Scott? You chose that place because when you look out and you see the grandeur of what you're surrounded with, it, you just want to worship. How many of you, you're driving, you see an amazing sunset, pull out your phone, you're taking pictures, and like I pause to make sure, do you all see this? This is incredible. You know what an atheist does? They don't even notice sunsets. They think that because somehow they try to explain scientifically why there's different spectrums of light, blah, 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 blah. Just shut up and enjoy the beauty of something that is so far beyond your little puny mind to understand. Are you kidding me? We Oh, my gosh, it drives me nuts. We were not made to make much of ourselves. In fact, narcissists are the most miserable people on planet Earth, and being around narcissists makes you miserable. I hope I'm not speaking to any narcissists that are recovering this morning and are worshiping with us. Actually, we're all recovering narcissists only at different levels, but you understand what I'm talking about. We were not made to go, I am the greatest. Everybody look at me, cheer me. No, those people are sick. We're made to stand in the midst of incredible awe and wonder and draw our attentions to the great one, God Almighty. That's why we, why do people go to the Grand Canyon and look at a giant hole in the ground? I'll tell you Why? because you can't find a hole in the ground like that anywhere. It's amazing. And I'm standing there having this encounter with God going, God, your beauty, your creativity, it's amazing, awesome. And I got some little puny person next to me going, you know, 16 billion years ago, uh, this water started running through here and over gazillions of years of time. This is what we get. And I just wanted to vomit right in the Grand Canyon. I'm like, dude, are you nuts? You just ruined my God encounter right here because I had to listen to that puny, ridiculous drivel come out of your mouth. Stand in awe of the greatness of God. Stand in awe of a God who blows us away with his genius and his awesomeness. I can't handle that stuff. All right. I gotta get moving. That's not even in my notes. Help me, Jesus. I need to get back up. Lord. Help. Help me, help me, help me. The greatest greatness is God's greatness. And every good that ever thrills the heart of man is amplified 10,000 times in God. This is what I want you to see. When you look out and see beauty, you need to realize that beauty is just a fragment of the beautiful being that His name is God Almighty. All right, the I AM. When you see the power of God, that's why Lauren still remembers my daughter. I would always bring her outside when there was a storm going on because the lightning and the wind and the, the trees, and it was awesome. And when it finally got too intense, then, then we'd run inside. But she still remembers sitting on Daddy's lap during the storms out on the front porch because what was I trying to do? I wanted to let her hear the whisper of the power of God. Why do we stop for lightning storms in the summertime when the whole sky... The amount of power going off is mind-blowing. Why do we do that? Because it's just like, that's just a little static electricity from God. It's just a little, from God's perspective, from us, we just go, whoa, the whole sky lit up. Don't you love coming in contact with the greatness of the power of God, the beauty of God, the mind of God? I love it. I love it. I love it. We're made to be enthralled by the greatness of God. This is why David encourages us to worship God. He says, yours, O Lord, verse 11, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, the majesty. Listen to this. Everything in the heavens and on the earth is yours, O Lord, including this kingdom. It all belongs to you. Look at his response. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Isn't that great? He says, God, you're great because your power is infinite. God, you're great because your glory, which is God's beauty and all of his perfections, is infinite. He's infinitely glorious. God is great in his victory, which is the working out of his agenda and his purposes. You know, can I encourage us? If your life belongs to the Lord, and what you do belongs to the Lord. You know, David said, God, this kingdom is all yours. You know, we say, Lord, just business is all yours. My kids are yours. This church is yours. It's not Pastor Ron's church. It's your church, God. Everything belongs to you, Lord. Yours is the victory. You know, I was overwhelmed as I told you thinking about preaching on the greatness of God. I really felt very, very small. And the Lord said, you know what? Hey, I got your, got your back covered. All right, just preach the word. Get into the word. Tell the people the word. I got your back covered. I'm gonna send the Holy Ghost. He's gonna help folks out. In other words, this, this whole thing of ministry belongs to God. Why don't we just release it to him and trust him? And look what David said, adore God. We adore you as the one over all things. God's greatness is incomparable. Can't compare with anybody or anything. Look at verse 12. Wealth and honor come from you alone. You rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand. And at your discretion, people are made great and people are given strength. You know, I have prayed this prayer and I encourage you to pray this prayer. The Bible talks about many of the kings in the Old Testament. As long as they sought the Lord, God caused them to prosper in everything that they did. How many of you believe those promises are for us? I'm not looking for greatness for my own reputation. I am looking for kingdom greatness because I want my life to be used by God to accomplish great things. How about you? Do you want your life to be used by God to accomplish great things? How about in your business? Do you want your business to accomplish great things for God? Then then how about praying this prayer? Lord, yours is the kingdom, yours is the honor, yours is the glory, yours is the victory. God, it all belongs to you. Magnify your greatness, God, in my life, in my marriage, in my kids, in my business. Magnify your greatness. That's what I'm talking about. Personalizing it. You know, many times I think we're wanting to see more of the greatness of God, and God's wanting to see us treat him as he's truly great. How many of you know if you want to see a great God respond and do something, you, you probably need to have something worthy of his greatness to respond to? Is this making sense? So many times the Lord's going, I'm trying to demonstrate my greatness. Why don't you let me? Why don't you honor me? Why don't you put me first? Why don't you submit to me? Why don't you pursue me? Why don't you treat me as great so I can be great? The question is not whether he's great. The question is whether or not we allow him to manifest his greatness in our lives. Psalm 150, praise him for his mighty works. Praise him for his unequaled greatness. Psalm 135, I know the greatness of the Lord, that our God is greater than any other God. Psalm 145, great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. Listen to this. No one can measure his greatness. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. He says, I will proclaim your greatness. And so David responds again, who am I, Lord? Who am I? Who am I? I want to encourage us that sometimes the challenges that we face are because we really think it's up to us. It's, it's my, it relies on me, my strength, my wisdom. And I'll tell you what, there's been so many situations I go into, I'm just like, God, I don't have a clue. <laughs> Anybody ever felt that way? God, I don't have a clue. I learned this from my dad, by the way. Because my dad, when he go off the situation, I'd be with him, I say, Dad, what, what are you gonna do? And he goes, I don't know. What are you gonna say? I don't know. I'd be like, Really? He said, Yeah, I don't know. But I know when I need to say something, God's gonna fill my mouth. I know when I need wisdom, God's gonna give it to me. And so the focus isn't on what I possess in myself, the focus is on the God who possesses me. And so the goal is always, Lord, what do you want to do? What, what do you want to say? God, how can I help? Lord, what do these people need? Lord, how can I speak into this situation? Lord, what do I do with my finances? God, what about this situation here? Lord, I really it would it'd be really great if you could help out over here. We need a lot of help out over here. In other words, the whole point is a posture of humility. You know, when you say, who am I? You are voicing humility before God. Now listen to me, I believe in the authority of the believer, I believe in positive affirmations, I believe in knowing who you are in Christ, I believe in all those things. But if you had, I'm going to ask you a question, if you had to ask what virtue possessed by humans is the greatest of all virtues in the eyes of God, I believe it's humility. And I believe the greatest sin is pride it's taking our lives in our own hands. It's it's the reason Satan was launched from heaven in the first place. So check this out. If we go through life and you just and this is how you open up your prayer life. Who am I, Lord? But you know what? It's not about me. It's who are you? You are the great I am. Your greatness is unsearchable and you just begin rehearsing. Who God is right back to him. God already knows who He is, but you know what? When it comes off of our lips and out of our heart, it does something inside of me. And when I can say, God, if you say your greatness is unsearchable, then everything I'm dealing with is so tiny compared to who you are. What are you trying to show me? What are you trying to do? God, I don't know what your situation is or what you're working out here, but how many of you know part of God's greatness is He's really smart? We're going to talk about God is smart. So, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing, but that's okay. I don't have to understand what you're doing because you are the great one. I'm not. I trust you. You're an amazing dad. Next week, we're going to talk about the goodness of God, how it undergirds everything God does. He does on the basis of his goodness and kindness. So, Lord, I just thank you that you love me. I thank you that you're for me. I thank you that you're a daddy. I thank you that you got all the power in the world. Nobody can move you, shake you, knock you off your throne. Lord, I'm with you. I'm on your lap right now. I'm hanging on like like a little kid. And, Lord, I just trust you in this season of my life. Lord, be glorified. Be magnified. Lord, do your thing. Do what you want to do. Make your name great, God, because who am I? that the Lord of all the earth would look down on some, a little puny person like me. But you know me. You love me. You call me by name. You sent your son to die for me. Therefore, God, I'm not alone. I'm with you, and I matter, and my life matters. I mean, this, all I'm doing right now is, is reasoning based on the Scriptures. I'm reasoning based on the knowledge of God. And can I just tell you, if you don't reason based on the knowledge of God, you will lose your mind. You'll lose your mind. And there's a lot of people losing their minds today. So this has to be real. It's between you and your God. It's between your relationship with the great I Am. It's you wrestling with Him, loving Him, praising Him, honoring Him. But then He reveals Himself to you. You know, Marion was loving on a lady at the basketball game just the other day. Uh, I don't know if she's here this morning. She is, is, is Not here today? The, the lady had a daughter by the name of Miracle. She's a cheerleader at Crown Point. And after the service, or after the game, I went up to her and I said, um, thanks. I went up to her, I said, hey, with a name like Miracle, you guys must be lovers of Jesus. And she said, we are, we are. Let me tell you, she's a miracle. And I got this amazing testimony. Um, but Mary, she said, but here's what we're dealing with, and on and on and on. So Marion just grabbed her right there in the, in the foyer at Crown Point High School after the game and just started praying with her. Well, Johnny had a game yesterday. And I'm walking out, Pastor Ron, Pastor Ron, can, can you come here, can you come here? So I go running over there. I just prayed with your wife last night, and we needed this situation, and it was a big situation, and God, it was supposed to take 30 days, and it happened yesterday, right after we prayed. So again, it, does, it doesn't always happen that way. I get it. It doesn't always happen that way, but how about this one? When it doesn't always happen the way we want, that's we we do this. Lord, your wisdom is also unsearchable. So I trust you with the timing. I want it to happen now, but I trust you with the timing. I trust you, Lord, that you haven't forgotten me because you are kind and good, and you love me. All the attributes of God come together in this beautiful mosaic of his greatness that we worship. He's great for a million reasons, And part of the joy of life is pursuing the greatness of God. I want you to stand to your feet with me. And can we just connect a few dots this morning? Thank you, Michael. Let's just connect a few dots. I know some of you have come here today with serious issues, challenges, whatever. And I don't mean to minimize any of that. God, God will help. God's going to do it. I just want to encourage your heart today. I don't, want to, I don't want to simplify complex problems, but I, all I'm trying to say is if we'll take a look a little higher, we'll see that there's a God who's far more complex than whatever our problems are right now, and His greatness is the answer for everything that we face. So Lord, we just stand here today as sons and daughters with our hands lifted high. We honor you. We love you. We trust you. And, Lord, we've come to simply praise you for your greatness, God. I pray that you were encouraged today from our worship. I pray that there's a smile on your face. I know that you always have a smile on your face because you're also a happy God. But, Lord, I pray that the gathering of your children as we've come to just simply magnify you, I know that it brings heart and life and joy to you, and I pray that you just release that into us, God. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your answers to our challenges. And, Lord, we just pray as we leave this place today and as we head out to our ministry field, may our perspective be changed. May you be really big and may everything we're dealing with shrink in comparison, God. So, Father, help us to move in faith and help us to trust you to see breakthroughs wherever we need those breakthroughs. We just declare that, Lord, over this church right now. We just breakthrough, God. You are the God of victory, and we grab a hold of you. Thank you that your victory is our victory. So, Lord, bring victory today. Bless us this week. Use us for your glory, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen.